In preparation for the sermon, we are invited to uh, read scriptures and uh, respond. So if you will look behind me, we have it prepared. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. and recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Excuse me, I am really looking for the script there. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Then he began to say to the gathered, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Blessings as you share the word, Pastor Will. Thank you, Jake. So the, the theme this morning is uh, migration and justice and all of those things. 
And uh, it's, it's a big topic. Uh, we, were, we were provided a long list of resources. There were, uh, there were a long list of uh, stories of people who are providing justice in, uh, in South and Central America. Um, just trying to get back a little bit here. And uh, it, it felt a little bit overwhelming. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't decide which direction I wanted to go uh, from the beginning. And there were, there were a ton of stories. And, and the stories, uh, they, they rang a bell in the sense that they sounded familiar. I was in Colombia not very long ago, and we, ho- we heard similar stories. And so I can still remember when... Uh, when I was there talking to the people there who were working for peace, trying to uh, bring justice to people who'd had their land stolen, uh, for people who'd been chased off of their land, for people who were living in slums just to find uh, a place of respite uh, from the violence of, of that land. And that slum was a pretty violent place too. And so I could, have, I could have told those stories, but it seemed to me that after a while they all started to sound the same, that um, it, wasn't going to be, uh, it wasn't going to be easy for me to make them sound original and different uh, than what we hear on the news all the time. Now part of that is because uh, we have heard these stories and they all sort of blend together. Uh, part of that is because the, the turmoil in, in those countries has lasted for a really long time. And uh, then the stories repeat themselves. Uh, but part of it is because uh, we as people uh, sort of hear the same stories over and over again. And uh, we tune out after a while. Now, I thought what we would do instead is uh, to go through the scriptures. You see, the the other alternative was for me to uh, do sort of a a social justice type sermon, to talk about the importance of justice and charity and uh, all of those things. And yet, um, I feel like I could do that. I, I have done that in the past. Uh, but I wanted to, to go through the, the Bible and uh, find out, as we walk through here together, what the Bible says about uh, immigration. So here I've put, okay, I had put my confidence in that, and now it's uh, turning out. So, justice on the journey. Uh, <clears throat> the journey metaphor is one that's uh, common to us in Scripture, and it's, uh, it's common uh, in humanity, uh, one of the things that I've that I've come to appreciate uh, in my in the last few years of, of study is that uh, the scriptures are are there to inspire us, but a lot of times the stories that we find there serve as a template. So when you would go to a new people group and you would tell them the stories of the Bible, uh, very often they would say, "Yeah, we know that story. We know the story of." of a father who had two sons, and one listened and the other one didn't. We know those stories. Those stories happen in our communities. Uh, We know the stories of when uh, kings take too much power 
and uh, they threaten the lives of children, and so parents have to run away. We know that story. Uh, Those are the stories of humanity, and so of course we're going to find them in Scripture. And then when we read them in the Bible, then the Bible shows us the deeper meaning behind those stories um, and directs us to the bigger narrative. So what does the Bible say about migration uh, and about immigration at the same time? Well, um, rather than just kind of cherry-picking a few from here and there, I thought we can sweep right from the beginning to the end. And uh, this is is a a preaching style I I borrowed from some of my more traditional Mennonite ancestors. You see, in some of those churches, you got to preach not because you were educated or because you survived uh, an interview and discernment process— Uh, you got picked sort of randomly. They trusted that the Holy Spirit would make sure that the right person got picked. And sometimes there was the sense that perhaps the Holy Spirit had not chosen the most eloquent speaker. Um, And they would sometimes fall back on a a default style of sermon. And their default was sometimes they would start with Genesis, and uh, by the time you got to Revelation, then everybody could go home. Well, uh, a good speaker can do that in in under 20 minutes, and uh, I guess we'll find out in 20 minutes if I'm a good speaker or not. So, at the very beginning of the Bible, there are the books of Moses, the law, um, or what sometimes we read as the Torah. So, you can, uh, if you've got your Bible along, you can kind of flip through. Uh, In these first five books, what does the Bible say about migration? Well, quite a bit. The people of God were in the business of migrating, um, and not always by choice. So Adam and Eve are the first family in the Bible. They migrated. Why did they migrate? Well, they were kicked out of the garden. So they migrated. And then Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. And then Cain realized that he was going to be in trouble, and so he had to run away. And then he prayed out to God, or in his conversation with God, he asked for protection from all of the other people, which sort of begs some other questions. But here, he's migrating, he's carrying with him a legacy of crime and sin, and he's asking God for protection. So here we have two big migrations just within the first family of the Bible. So the earth is filled, the people listen to God's command to go forth and multiply, and yet they make a bunch of mistakes. God realizes the earth is full of violence and destruction, and so the flood happens, and God starts new again with Noah and his family, and what does he tell them? Go. Go out, migrate to different places. That's, I added that word in there, but that's part of, part of the instruction, to go, to, to, to go out. And then what happens? The people don't. They don't go out. So what happens next in the story? Well, they get together. They say, we're staying here. We're going to erect a monument here so that people know that this is us. We're going to show how great we are. And then what happens? Well, God confuses their language so they have no choice but to go. They gather in groups of people who speak the same way, and they have to leave. Migration is already part of the story before we even meet Abraham. And then we meet Abraham, 
And this is still, this is the first few chapters. Uh, We meet Abraham. What does God call him to do? God calls him to go. Leave your family. Go to a land that I will give you. So this is the story of Abraham. And then I'll skip over a couple of other migrations that also happened. Well, and then we meet Joseph and his brothers. And Joseph and his brothers are working the land. They're farming in the land that God had given to their father and their forefathers. And Joseph is sold into slavery. So that's a migration that Joseph undergoes. Joseph ends up in Egypt, and then what happens? There's famine in the promised land. So then there's another migration. They're coming to Egypt to get food. Joseph gives them food. The whole family comes to Egypt. Well, they stick around so long that they become enslaved by the Egyptian government. And then what happens? They want to leave. They're not allowed to leave. They'll do anything they can to leave. Finally, 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 Pharaoh relents and lets them go. And then what happens? There's a mass migration. This migration is said to take 40 years. The whole second book of the Bible is called Exodus, the leaving, the migrating. This is inherent to the story of Israel. The stories of these migrations form the identity of God's people. So that when when they gather at the foot of Mount Sinai, there are a number of, they get they get the, the Ten Commandments. There's a long list of laws. And written into these laws is a reminder of their migration. So this is from Exodus chapter 20. Uh, Verse 1, then God spoke all of these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Right? This is in the introduction to the Ten Commandments. These are the laws that you have. You have to follow them. Remember, you are a migrating people. I am the God who migrated you out of Egypt. This is inherent to who the people of Israel are. This is their identity. They're a migrating people. Well, eventually, they uh, settle down, uh, and they establish their own kingdom. They, they live out these laws that uh, Moses collects for them in the wilderness. And so they have uh, a steady place. They're, they're stable enough that they're being attacked by neighboring countries. But in the next little part here, so uh, historically, traditionally, the Old Testament is divided into three parts. Uh, there's the, the Torah, the Ketuvim, and the Nevi'im, the, the law, the writings, and uh, the prophets. So I've broken the Bible into, into five parts for this analysis. So the, the big part of the wisdom literature are the Psalms. And the, the main writer of the Psalms, as we understand, is David. So David writes psalms of God's greatness, uh, songs of praise that we have in our hymnal based on these words. But when did David write these psalms? Well, most of them were written when David was in some kind of trouble. When David was running for his life from King Saul, 
he wrote psalms. When we turn to those psalms, we can identify the struggles that he was feeling. David wrote about being landless. David wrote about not having a place to stay, not having security, and thanking God for being with him in that. Right? So even in this poetry that was written by one of the, the kings, the founding kings of Israel, even inherent to that is a sense of landlessness, lostness, um, of being apart from their, their homeland. And then the next part are the prophets, the Nevi'im. And uh, I pulled my, my bookmark out of here. So the the prophets are writing about the story of Israel. Well, Israel didn't get to stay in their homeland forever. Uh, God had promised it to Abraham forever. He had promised it to Isaac forever. And so there's sort of this thinking that, okay, well, we're good as long as we stay here. Well, God's promises are always connected to the people's behavior. And the people's behavior wasn't always good. And so sometimes, because of their bad behavior, they were sent out of the land, taken away from the land. So there's a story of the people of Israel migrating to Babylon. Not because they wanted to, because they couldn't stay. They were kicked out of the land. So already just a short little while into the future of their identity as a people of Israel, they migrate again. And then they get to go back, they get to return to the land and rebuild the temple. Well, there's another migration. But a whole bunch of the the writings come at the time where they are living in Babylon. And what are they supposed to do? Well, God says, you're going to stick around for a while, so get comfortable. Uh, allow your children to marry the people they find there because you're sticking around. Buy houses, you're allowed to. And so the identity of being foreigners, of being strangers and aliens, is inherent to who the people of Israel are and how they live out their faithfulness is to accept, uh, to demonstrate welcoming to the foreigners who come to their land. Uh, So this is from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, and this is verse 49. It says, This is the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were proud, had plenty to eat, and enjoyed peace and prosperity, but she didn't help the poor and the needy. So so Sodom, for all of the, the wickedness that we know about, What the prophets record of their sin was that they didn't welcome people. You see, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, there were foreigners, people coming from somewhere else, as far as they knew anyway, and they were not received. They were not given shelter. They were not given comfort. And so that was their sin. They had a lot to share, and they didn't. They allowed their wealth to corrupt them. So even within the prophecies, there's a reminder, we are foreigners. And so when we find foreigners among us, we need to welcome them. And then the Gospels. So these are stories that we 
recognize. These are the stories that we celebrate. So what does Jesus say about migration? Well, one of the most famous stories that Jesus tells is of a man who is walking between two cities. So what, what kind of man is he? We don't know what his background is. But as he's walking, he is attacked. You know the story. I'll simplify the details to, to fit within my timeline here. The man is attacked. He's beaten. He is robbed and left for dead. And as he's laying there, uh, two Jewish men, prominent Jewish men who know the scriptures, who know the law, who know how to be good Jews, they find him there. But they don't stop. In fact, they actually hurry up to get out of his way. Now, we, we can identify with that. We might not uh, instinctively stop to help somebody in a situation like that if we're motivated by self-interest. They didn't know who he was. Was he Jewish or was he a foreigner? Um, was he by himself or did he have a group of people hiding in the woods ready to attack? Was this sort of some sort of plan? Um, or were the men who hurt him still around and were ready to hurt the next person who looked weak and vulnerable? All of this would have been playing into their minds, and yet Jesus isn't sympathetic to these men in this story, these uh, prestigious men, these respectable men. Instead, who helps? Well, the next person to come along the road is a Samaritan, a migrant, a man who doesn't live there. That's not his territory. It's not his land. He's not obligated to follow the laws of that land. And yet, what does he do? He shows compassion. He helps the man. He attends to his wounds, brings him to a hospital to help him get comfort. Why does he do this? Why does he, uh, an outsider, help this man who, who owes nothing to him and who he owes nothing to? Well, because that's what the kingdom of God looks like. We don't know why he acted that way, and was Jesus telling a real story of something that happened? Uh, we don't know, but the message there is clear. The man's identity, his nationality doesn't matter. In fact, him being an outsider might even make him more likely to help. When, when Jesus tells stories of borders and insiders and outsiders... He doesn't condemn the migrants, and he doesn't uphold the, the dignity of the border. He calls us to show love beyond borders. <clears throat> and then in the epistles, in the letters that Paul writes and other church leaders write, uh, there's also a sense of migration there. Many of the letters are written to churches in different parts of Asia and Europe, but most of those churches, at least at the beginning, were pri primarily Jews. Primarily people with a Jewish background who had left Israel. They were uh, the diaspora, the, the Jews who had left Israel. Why did they leave Israel? Isn't Israel a great place? Well, they left because, uh, a long list of reasons, 
not least of which was that Israel was occupied by Rome. Uh, Rome was making things difficult for Israel, and so there wasn't work there left. There wasn't opportunity left, and the taxes were so high, you may as well be somewhere else. So the identity of the early church was was an identity of migration. The story of Jesus is a story of celebrating migrants. So what does the Bible say about immigration? Well, we welcome the stranger. We welcome strangers because we were strangers. This is, this is inherent to the law. There's the story of Ruth, which sort of fits in between the law and the, the wisdom literature. In the story of Ruth, uh, a, a Jewish family migrates to the next country. And there the sons marry the local women. And when things go bad there, they go back. They migrate back to Israel. So it's a Jewish woman and her Moabite daughter-in-law. They migrate back to Israel. When they get there, we find out if the people of Israel are going to be able to welcome the outsider or not. And they do, but the outsider isn't somebody to be distrusted. The outsider uh, models back to them the goodness that they are supposed to have. That's who Ruth is. And that's why she uh, is held up as an important figure in the history of the Bible because she lives out Jewish values better than the Jews do. There, there were laws inherent to the Jewish system to welcome outsiders and strangers. Uh, the second point is we are all wanderers. We are all landless people at some level, and God is with us in our wandering. When you look at the Bible and you ask, what does Jesus say about how to run a government? There isn't much. Uh, what, does, what does the Bible say to people who are comfortable living in safety and uh, can rely on their own government? Not much. Most of the Bible is not written within that context. And so if we want to identify with the God that's written about in the Psalms, we need to identify ourselves as wanderers. Uh, and finally, uh, the, the connecting point, this is not our home. So when we understand that our allegiance is with the eternal kingdom, with God's kingdom, uh, then we will find out that our affiliation with this place and and the people who run it uh, is a lot less loyal. This is not our home. Our allegiance is somewhere else, so we behave here as though we are visitors. We uphold the local law. Uh, We are respectful of, of, the, of the government that's here, but ultimately our allegiance is somewhere else. And so when we understand that our time here is temporary, then we are much more sympathetic to other people who are new to this land and whose identity here is temporary. So this is a, a comprehensive view I, I try to kind of put together of what the Bible itself says about migration. If you're looking for what the Bible says about borders and uh, security, there's a lot less to to lean on. These are the stories that are there. The people who are uh, in the stories that I read about uh, South America and Central America, those are inspiring stories too. Uh, There are people who are fleeing from dangerous places 
and everywhere they go, they are met with generosity and hospitality. Everywhere they they go, they are met with food and temporary housing and comfort and advocacy. There There are places from the U.S. border all the way down to to the tip of South America that will offer hospitality to people who are are on the run. And that's a good thing and it's a bad thing. It's a good thing that people of peace are motivated to do that. It's a good thing that people of peace all around the world are motivated to pay for that. But it's a bad thing that it's so necessary. Now, we don't know all of the stories. We don't know all of the stories of the various countries down there who are experiencing instability because of government transition, government corruption. Uh, We don't know the stories down there of places that are in turmoil because uh, the, the proper government has been taken over or has been corrupted by organized crime. We don't know those stories, and honestly, most of us can't identify with those stories. But we can, because we're familiar with these words, identify with these stories. And when we allow ourselves to do that, then all of a sudden the stories of landlessness uh, and, and victimization, then those stories mean a little bit more because we have the lens through which to interpret them. So I want to encourage you. Many of you are supportive of... Uh, of refugee rights here in Canada are participating in in helping immigrants to find a place here. Uh, This is what we do because we recognize that God has received us. This is what we do because we recognize that we are temporary here too. Our allegiance is somewhere else. So I want to encourage those of you who are doing that uh, to do so graciously and uh, with conviction that it is worthwhile. Uh, And for for the rest of us, I want us to consider these stories, to take ownership of these stories and also those stories, so that we can see that God is with them the same way that God is with us, and that we are all working together. This is our home only for a little while, and so when we work together, uh, then we can accomplish God's kingdom work uh, as a community of believers and as a family of God. Amen.